You are listening to the Designers Institute Student Council podcast. I am Alistair Kincaid. With me is Rose Norgrove, and we study at Media Design School. Today, we'll be speaking with Johnny Coford, a founding partner and director of Assembly. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Can we start with a little introduction about yourself and your role at Assembly? Yeah, so I guess I'm one of the founding partners, but my I guess my day job title is Director of Motion and Design, which is a reasonably vague title, which is good because it's a job that seems to change every couple of years. Yeah. So we're having a little nosy over your portfolio, well, Assembly's portfolio, and you know there's a wide range of different sort of BFX, 3D, and 2D animation that you guys work with, and a lot of like really awesome, recognizable clients internationally and locally. One that really stuck uh, stood out to us was the TV shows and like films that you work with. The opening title sequence of Jojo Rabbit, like that would have been quite a cool sequence there. And what we do in the shadows, like some Tiger Waititi films yeah. there. So is it, like there's a quite an interesting relationship there with him. Yeah, he's one of my old, well, oldest friends. We we went to primary school together, um, oh, cool. so I put a lot of pressure on him to bring us work. <laughs> um, but yeah, we get, we do a lot of different projects. I guess I think part of that is as a group of people, we're very interested in lots of different work, and as a collective, we cover a lot of bases. But also, I think the main thing is probably the fact that we're in New Zealand, so you're isolated. You have to draw work in from everywhere. But also, Kiwis tend to be generalists. We don't tend to go down sort of really specific streams. So as a result, for the size of company that we've got, we tend to yeah, cover a lot of bases. We get asked to do stuff that you wouldn't usually anywhere else in the world. Mm. You know what I mean? Like like well, lighting like design. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no way that you'd get that project in New York or yeah. London. But in New Zealand, it's like, hey, do you know how to do bridge lighting? And it's like, no, I have no <laughs> we'll figure idea, it, out. it out. So did you guys sort of work with another installation company to – Get that yeah. light set up. That was yeah. all entirely you guys? No, that was a, a company that specializes in that out of Australia. So I guess that's a, probably a, quite a good point where we kind of draw the line as we, with a creative kind of entity, we're into the storytelling and we're into the kind of emotional kind of side of it. When it comes to the technical delivery, we do have like two full time computer science background dev guys and a, a technical director who's almost like an electrical engineer. Right, so we know. build things to a certain scale, like prototyping and things like that. But when it comes to like a $15 million installation yeah. on a piece of public transport, that's a good example of where we kind of take care of the storytelling and narrative and pre-visualization and then get some people who know how to not make the bridge fall into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that was a great project. Like I got to see it and from the uh, viewpoint mm-hmm. where you get to watch it. It was insane. Yeah, it's quite funny, like as a as an example of a piece of work in New Zealand, it's, it was a collaboration between private and public sectors. So yeah. the big launch night was really kind of special and cool and we thought it was, we did a pretty good job and then the next day they turned it down to like 3% and it's sort of just been left there. So it's, oh, uh, it's, so it's, still, it's still running now. <laughs> oh, it's okay. actually running right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that but, makes uh, sense because I do remember being told that it was like going to be continuous, but then I didn't notice that. Yeah. Again. It's a, I was so happy to be involved with the project. But yeah, it's a little bit of a lost opportunity in some respects because it's such a public piece of like, yeah. well, you know, it's a horrendous piece of engineering that <laughs> really trying to make beautiful. And the the piece, the, the reel that you guys have on your website, it's got like this beautiful soundtrack with it and that kind of drives the narrative. Was there a way that you could sort of integrate that sound design when you're actually seeing it live? Like was there a... Yeah, you could actually, you could tune into a radio station that was free, free broadcast. And there's also a website you could get the soundtrack from. But the best thing about that as a piece of public space art was that people who turned up to watch it took their boomboxes. 
yeah. sweet and like uh, tuned into the radio station or you know whatever and then actually just played it throughout the space so as long as you're around a whole bunch of people you kind of hear the sound there are a few kind of technical things with that job which was just it was just so tricky like knowing that the speed of sound is much slower than the speed of light like how you get that experience <laughs> oh, for people. Cool. but it just sort of kind of worked Kind of just sort of glued itself together. I watched it from my boat in the little harbour, so I probably had a really <laughs> unique vantage point. So yeah, it wasn't exactly as good really as cool. I thought it was. And then there's a lot of classic Kiwi brands that you guys have worked with, and in particular, a lot of like banking brands. And I know I'm quite like fascinated by simple explainer 2D videos. Like it is kind of the more simpler animations as opposed to say 3D or something. But still, there's quite you know when when you do it in, a, in such a way, they can really add like quite a lot of quality. So their yeah. shots like yeah. i think the westpac piece that you, you guys done where there was like an ice cream cone and then it kind of rotated around and created a building and just all these like really beautiful dynamic transitions like in that piece was really neat and i think there's another shot like a house or from a truck to a house mm-hmm. like the, i guess those are kind of related to banking and everyday icons but i mean how did you guys sort of come up with those different transitions there because you always you see those things and you think oh you know how did how did you figure that one out yeah, well, it's, I guess going back a little bit, there's sort of two strains of business communication that we tend to deal with. One is, I guess, what you call branding and more brand experience, which is more of a kind of like the storytelling and, you know, the kind of a more emotional animation pieces. Mm. And there's a much more hardworking kind of like, what do I do? Like how, you know, instructional kind of stuff. And I, get, I think Westpac kind of, I mean, the body of that work was quite instructional, quite matter of fact, but it also had this sort of slightly, I guess, sort of magical element to it Mm. where it kind of showed it could reinvent itself. And even the W transitions were quite subtle, but you could see all of the Westpac logo amongst those shots. And there's a couple of reasons why things like that happen. I think one is that you're trying to always create this sort of mystery because at the end of the day, we're creating stuff that has an audience and you want your audience to engage and be interested. But also there is a danger with that kind of explainer video where it becomes laborious and mm. you know, three shots and the viewer have decoded what you're trying to do and they it just feels like hard work. So yeah, I quite like that as a coming from a design background, like that's quite a fun challenge is to take something that seems like quite a boring procedural kind of, you know, exercise and then trying to make it entertaining. Mm. I mean that's just, you know, that's a big part of our job, I guess. Yeah, I think um, especially with the the Heinz advertisement, I thought it was really interesting because you don't see the stuff that we apply to film. You often don't see that applied to advertisements, which is interesting because we enjoy watching films and most people would argue they don't enjoy watching advertisements. But then that Heinz piece was like at the quality of a film and all of that and enjoyable to watch, but it is ultimately advertising it like it's unusual that that doesn't get done more often like yeah i think it probably comes down to something as boring as money yeah i was <laughs> i think everyone yeah. wants to make kind of really entertaining advertising and that's the kind of that's the catch i guess is that although we love applying that kind of cinematic kind of thinking mm. to animation and film like it is interesting that people haven't bought tickets to what we're making so we're invading people's privacy with advertising so i think one of the ways that we combat that morally is by like trying to make it as good and yeah, as entertaining exactly. as possible. But yeah, that's expensive. And yeah. like, I'd hate to think how much Heinz costs per second. It's probably actually more expensive than like a feature film if you actually think about the economies right. of the yeah. film pipeline, which is ridiculous, right? But I think, you know, when a client is brave and does a piece of storytelling like that, they kind of rise to the top. 
Yeah, although even, I mean, that one, obviously, the style of animation is so complex, but even with the spark, the simple blobs that go along, like that kind of thing where you're creating something with a narrative, like you said, as opposed to sort of more typical Like using such simple form. Like at first you look at the shot and you can instantly see what what they're doing just from the action, like the ball that's rolling, he picks up another little ball and then skims it towards the background, but you can tell it's an individual skimming a rock along and then and then it's got that like kind of comedy factor where it hits the duck at the end like really quite sweet and then i quite liked the the narrative narrative structure of that you know you're you're following these spheres and we're recognizing what's happening and you but feel then sorry it, for them yeah and like the way you can create emotion around that but then at the end we see that it actually jumps into like spoiler alert into the message and it's like yeah like that's, that was a really cool concept yeah, it's yeah. super fun as well because it's like i guess like a, it's like a visual puzzle that's where those motion graphic jobs become quite interactive you kind of set up a scene and you want your audience to be engaged and kind of try and work it out mm. but that is also quite a cheeky little piece because it's a basically it's basically applying kind of like a really high-end cinema methodology to some dots yeah mm. exactly. so it kind of can be a bit cheesy and yeah. kind of funny with it but but there's also this real sort of simplicity to it as well because these are relatable stories that you're telling but you're doing it with as few brush strokes as possible mm. so it's like that's you know, really scalable it works on your phone you know, it works in the cinema screen we actually as a joke put that piece <laughs> in the cinema ad that's oh, right. portrait, oh, that would have been so good. and then had the curtains close to <laughs> 9 by 16 oh that's <laughs> so sweet <laughs> very yeah. cool and with something so simple pretty much any audience could probably relate to it as well because there isn't too much to like find difference and I guess yeah, with a character that's a can, circle. Everyone can relate to that story and it yeah. doesn't, you know, the great thing about animation like that is you could argue that you could shoot that idea traditionally with live action and a cane casting, but the danger with that of course is that you throw all your eggs in one basket if you cast a certain kind of person then everyone else potentially doesn't connect or identify with yeah, that exactly. person. Mm. I mean, people do that very well in, in New Zealand as well, of course, but animation has that wonderful open-endedness. Where it's just like, I'm not talking to any specific demographic or even age. It's yeah. like everyone who's ever, you know, fallen in love before, anyone <laughs> who's like, you know, um, being disappointed, like at the real universal ideas and they, they don't have all the kind of baggage and colouring that sometimes live action does. Yeah. This is my excuse. As, I know, I think it, I think it lets, the, lets the message stand <laughs> for itself, you know. So being that, is your background live action? Because you said that you also come from a background of design as well, because it's such a diverse portfolio that you guys got. And you said like, basically a lot of your work is just what you guys are also really interested in as well. And it looks like you do bring a lot of your hobbies into your work, like the space here, you've got the drum kit upstairs and all this awesome imagery on the walls. Yeah, Yeah, I guess everyone here sort of comes from a pretty interesting background. I think we're, we're essentially a production company with, strong animation leanings mm-hmm. but everyone that works it seems to either come from an art or design background so went to design school or art school and the great thing as you guys probably know about having a design career is no one kind of holds you to anything mm-hmm. so you can kind of move around a little bit yeah and i've already taken advantage of that since i've started working so i've done a lot of live action stuff public space work I've worked in film a lot of title design just things i'm kind of into definitely it was interesting what you said just then, like being a designer, no one actually holds you to what your title is, I guess. Yeah. So when people ask, I mean, I, I'm in my third year uni and even when people ask me what I do, it's, I kind of thumble around and say, oh, design, yeah. emotion, design, you know, I'm not really yeah. sure how to title it. Yeah. Like, no, do you know I what do your title is? Not <laughs> I, I mean, I do have a job title that 
I think it's convenient for some people, but I don't think my clients understand what it means. Mm. But they're on exactly the same. I kind of you meet someone and they say, oh, what do you do? And it's kind of like, uh, uh, uh. it's like, whoa, yeah. you've been doing it for nearly 20 years. You don't have a clear answer. <laughs> and then you come up with these really, I mean, I love the term moving image because it's so incredibly vague. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that could be anything from, you know, being a DOP to like you know, anything that moves, you know. I think the main thing is there are some dangerous labels you can give yourself. But even motion graphics sort of suggest certain things. Like if you're a motion graphics person, maybe you're not going to get to tell the story or something. Maybe you're just going to help with the graphics at the end or something. Right. So, yeah, I, I do avoid certain labels for mm. sure. But I think um, the great thing about our job is that you always end up in dialogue with someone at some stage about the project. And, and that's the most important thing about telling your client or your collaborator what you're going to bring to the table and being able to, I guess, then why we go to design school is so we can learn how to articulate visual ideas before they become visual. So it's a big part of it has been able to kind of just sort of find that angle of what you're going to bring to this communication problem. So at the end of the day, most of the stuff we do, whether it's film or whatever, there is a communication problem that's at its root in our job as a designer animator is to help solve that problem or wrap that piece of communication in a certain way that an audience will be able to receive it. Yeah, no, exactly. On that note, Rose, you had a point there. Oh, about longevity. Mm. Yeah, well, I thought looking through the website, it was really interesting that all of them are obviously incredibly relevant and up-to-date and whatnot, but they all have what seems to be long-lasting sort of design. Like, it's not designed just to meet the current trends because motion design, like any, has a lot of trends, new trends every year, and a lot of designers do just try to match that trend. But how do you go about designing something that will stand the test of time? Yeah, you're totally right. Particularly in advertising, there's something really ephemeral about it. You kind of you're there to answer a question that has a shelf life. And I'm not saying we don't do that. I think sometimes you do have to latch onto style to kind of um, resonate with an audience and. If this piece of communication does have a short shelf life, that, that's completely appropriate. I guess it's, it's a big question. For me personally, a lot of my work tries to not be digital. I have a real analog approach to work. And the reason why I think I do that is probably just a bit of a kickback to the digital world. But also I like things to look kind of tangible and authentic. So I tend to like not like straight lines and... My work tends to be already pre-aged, maybe. <laughs> so it doesn't, it's already expired by the time right. it comes out. Um, <laughs> but it is interesting when you, you know, I'm looking down the barrel of quite a few years now in the industry and looking back at your work that sort of stands up and lasts, mm. like, you know, because you're always taking stuff off your showreel. The stuff that lasts is usually just the stuff that, it's not so much about the design, I guess, it's the stuff that just has that right kind of humour or the stuff that you kind of, like the message behind it. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, I'd like to think that a lot of my sort of sense of humour comes out of my work, for example. I've got a, there's a cheekiness about it. Mm. to do too much yeah. serious stuff. Well, there's two phases, really. There's that, and then I do really dark stuff that's super scary. Yeah, I guess the way that your work kind of gets longevity is not falling down too many of those sort of obvious traps. Stuff that looks like you can spot the software is always a big thing mm. as well. You know, a lot of your works, you're saying either sort of you go down a kind of dark direction or lots of humour and you kind of have to add that in there. Do you find yourself sort of having to push and pull a bit to get that in your video when talking to the clients? Are they always all like pretty keen and like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll give that a go, that, that direction with that humour there? Or... Bit of everything. Yeah. I think sometimes I have clients that come to me for a certain thing and I've already bought into it a little bit. Mm. And then I have other clients where I'll try and push it. 
on them and it might not fit. <laughs> yeah, especially de- dealing with sort of like international clients because yeah. obviously Kiwis, you know, there's a bit of a difference in the sense of humour often. Yeah, so. Well, the big thing about, because we work across all around the planet really it's kind of evenly spread the whole time well it seems to be like a 50 50 local work right international work at the moment but the real cool thing about new zealand and working in this field is new zealand's not a super rich country and as a result work doesn't go into research and get scrutinized the same way as it does with american jobs so as a result, that coupled with the fact there's some really amazing creative talent in New Zealand, you can make work and put it on here and sort of just see if it, see if it sticks. So mm-hmm. we're, we're prepared to take risks and our clients are as well. So to create good work in New Zealand is a lot easier than other countries. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a great place to be to, as an animator, as a designer, as a filmmaker. You make a lot of stuff. You meet your friends who do the same job as you, say, in New York. You know, they're producing a lot less work and a lot of it's getting caught at the research phase or they do something really cool, but it just gets burned at the last minute. So we get less yeah. of that and way less than Australia as well. Interesting. Completely different market. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost feel like there's a, like a lot of different kind of trends and styles like coming out of what you'll see in Sydney compared to Auckland and whatnot. Would it be safe to say that there's a, there's a sort of a smaller tight-knit motion community in Auckland, but there's like you said, all this experimentation and lots of different styles as opposed to one kind of like yeah. style going on. I think so. I think, once again, it comes back to that generalist sort of mm. thing again. It's like mm, we Jackie like to, trends. yeah, try everything and people don't seem to mind it, you know. You <laughs> don't have such a specialist kind of thing like you do in the States. There's definitely a different style, I guess, collection of styles between New Zealand and Australia. Australia seems to have a much more of a lean towards character storytelling, whereas mm. New Zealand there still seems to be a really strong push for just that kind of more experimental dream logic, kind of surrealist motion kind of work. And I don't know whose fault that is, but there's, there's been enough of that in the ecosystem yeah. over the years that people aren't so scared of it. Yeah, I think that New Zealand also has a really great design industry in terms of studios being friendly but competing a little bit, but just yeah. to sort of get everyone to stay on their toes but it's all very wholesome and not yeah totally i mean it's super friendly like it's like everyone knows each other everyone helps each other out there's not really doesn't really feel there's competition Mm. there's a really healthy freelance market Mm. people like blair walker who run the pro video podcast and all that he's like a a really important person and like making sure that everyone knows each other and doing these meetups and everyone's talking so i mean it's a great place to live if you do a, do a job like this because yeah. it's you don't have that crazy go home super late every night like yeah. in a situation <laughs> yeah. it's a great place to live but you now have access to that market as well yeah and sort of going back to that the styles in new zealand compared to australia you talked about kind of like that almost dreamlike experimental style and i feel like i've seen that like on your guys portfolio but with work with the all blacks and silver ferns and New Zealand herald yeah, kind of like proud Kiwi brands. Yep. And so that's kind of a good way to reflect that, you know, being proud to be a New Zealander. And I guess because you sort of have that space to be kind of experimental with those big names like that. And even with that anchor video goes, like my brother from another udder, and it had quite that fun sort of poetry feel to it. That was quite an interesting yeah, piece there. That yeah, that was really interesting, that this one. This is quite a good example of a very conservative client, mm. Fonterra, doing a very experimental film, mm. which is amazing. I don't think that happens you know, we know what Bill Campbell Cousin looks like <laughs> around the rest of the world. But yeah, we do have brave clients here, like not to bag on Australia, but for a country that's so close, they're so conservative with taking risks and really doing interesting kind of work. Mm. It's just so much harder to do it in Australia. Yeah. And also sometimes we use that, the budget 
thing here to our advantage. You know, we like to invest in things that we believe in as well. So we do a lot of work for charities who are like really want to like get people's attention, but maybe don't have the money and like we want to do a good piece of work. So we try and help out in a way and kind of like invest our time. And then it's win-win. Mm. You go home and you sleep yeah. at night. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, it's really interesting seeing the interactive pieces that you've done recently. So the voice of racism and also the Oat the Goat, I think, especially Oat the Goat, definitely like that came out and then there was a couple from, I think, America, a couple similar ideas where it's a, uh, like a picture book that you go through, an interactive picture book. So like, I guess it, it seemed like, at least from my perspective, that it set a bit of a trend. It was definitely, it's quite unique. There's not many of those around. So like, how was it adjusting to like WebGL and all of a sudden needing to animate something that's going to be in code as opposed to... Yeah, it's a it's been a biggie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because everything happened so quickly, but also... It feels like every job, you're a pioneer again. I think in terms of like the traditional motion design sort of work that I'm mainly focused on, I have a lot easier. So my business partner, Matt, he has always a dev guy or two with an arms, you know. Right, reach, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's super satisfying to see stuff of that production level end yeah. up being delivered it was through insane. web and not as video, but like as a living kind of thing. I kind of feel like there's still a lot to be done for assembly in that space, like feel like there's a lot of the interactive stuff that we pitch on or involved with like internationally seems to for some reason die a quick death and it seems to be something that i hear that resonated through the industry those big interactive space things they are the the tricky ones to get off the ground right which is the really i think having digital and having kind of animating animators sort of all living together in the same building doing public space stuff with how people interact with spaces is super interesting but i think that's our next kind of it's our next challenge. Yeah. We take all those sort of silo kind of concepts and glue them together and do some slightly larger scale things. I think the bridge job was, you know, it was, it was a video piece on rails. Yeah. It just happened to be the screen was 1.2 kilometers long. So yeah. scale. Yeah. But I mean, imagine that with, you know, that being interactive with when you drive your car over. That would be insane. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, the cars almost acted as a part of the installation, like their, their headlights played yeah, a part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's it was interactive, you know, looking around at the assembly space is quite a fun environment. And we saw on the Twitter that you guys had recently installed solar panels on the roof there. It seemed like quite a, yep. you know, interesting addition to the space there. Like, do you rely on that resource quite a bit? Or are there other sort of, you know, fun little bits like that in the space here? Yeah, it's quite a uh, interesting building. Like, it's really good size, but it used to be residential, so it's still got some nice homely things like a decent kitchen and mm. all that sort of stuff. You pointed so. out the, the headboard of the previous owners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the solar panel thing, that was quite interesting. We actually had an American client pay for it because we were doing this job that was all about sustainability, and they actually wanted the job to be 100% sustainable as well. So oh, wow. Like, cool. Yeah, that was quite... Yeah, quite a lucky sort of thing. I have to say, if they do that for all their little businesses that they help out with, say someone's going to charge for them and they're like, oh, hang on, we'll just sort of uh, like set up a power solar panel array there for you. It'll be quite yeah. tedious, but no, nah, that's actually quite cool what they did there. Yeah, it's yeah really no, that's awesome. But yeah, in terms of the space, like I don't think about it too much, but it's obviously a really important part of our business. Like this is where we gather and like we didn't ever want to sort of just have directors with freelancers. We wanted to have a company where we all grow together yeah. and we all came from this sort of, old school post-production 
kind of model mm. where you're kind of just another resource and assembly is kind of about if someone's struggling we pick it up quickly and we help them out and it's about having the business partners in the studio with everyone so that when we're having a conversation about the business everyone can listen in we shout we literally sit on either end of the room <laughs> shout at each other and mm. we can kind of pick yeah. up you know on what's going on so I mean, the building is super important in, in that respect, not just as a kind of interesting architectural space, but we've wanted it to be like really child and animal friendly. And yeah, definitely, we're about the two dogs and yeah. we entered here. Yeah, yeah that's not <laughs> half of them. <laughs> it's a light day. Yeah, no, I think it's also like particularly for designers, maybe over some other jobs is you need a space where you can be creative, which is obviously a lot more complex in terms of whether you achieve that. So like this place seems amazing. And then also just doing another little stalk online, we, we saw that you've done a bunch of public speaking pieces mm. as well. Like, that'd be quite interesting. It almost looks like its own job in itself. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I just sort of <laughs> fell into vortex of talking about design, but I love talking about design and animation. And I also have a really kind of strong vested interest in design education in New Zealand, like being a, being a dad. I guess not worrying about the future, but just seeing if I can be involved in some kind of way. It's been a huge opportunity to travel as well, which has been amazing, but also just it is a really cool way of meeting people, like doing this conference circuits or even talking at universities and overseas. You kind of meet amazing people who do, you know, amazing stuff. And I don't know, as you can tell, I'm not a great public speaker, but I think <laughs> it's part of part of not being a great public speaker is doing more of it. So See, you're kind of getting yourself involved, like first maybe like 10, 15 people and then getting into like 30, 50 and then that's, that's that kiwi sort of humbleness coming through yeah, I reckon, a, a kiwi like, <laughs> and also like designers sort of wanting to hide away behind a computer yeah, and just make stuff do you deal with like imposter syndrome with regard to being yeah. a designer yeah. yeah most people i know do yeah clearly yeah, i'm literally waiting for the day that someone works out that the entire thing is <laughs> i'm a fraud yeah <laughs> yeah there's a bit of sort of inherent guilt when you really enjoy your job as well mm. You're clearly excited about it every day, which sucks. Yeah. People in other roles thing. are always a little but like, like <laughs> you play with shapes and colors all day, and it's like, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, I was, I was talking to our producers the other day actually about I love my job, I still really love it. It's just there's this reality of, as well of when you do work like ours, when you get to reasonably high end, you're dealing with lots of people's money, and that's where the pressure comes in and what money does to people. So, some clients deal with that pressure really poorly and some clients are like taking a risk with you to run this journey so right, that's the only yeah. thing that really kind of um, makes you lose your hair you know a, a year of hard work can just be totally fine or it can be really tricky just because of the different personalities I've found that the more you can talk with clients and the more you can kind of like to carry your ideas and the more you have conversations and the more you don't hide behind your computer and you pick up the phone and say <laughs> hey this thing's happened I want to talk to you about it or I've just thought of a way to make it better my communication's like super super key and I, I think it's another fun challenge as you get older as a designer as well is to kind of sort of see how far into the kind of <laughs> universe you can put yourself you know mm. in terms of like the kind of work you can do definitely yeah. don't want to feel like you've sort of hit your top mark and you're just just waiting for retirement yeah exactly and what do you think is kind of like the plan going forward big technological developments that you know a way that you guys might want to ride on <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The stuff comes along, we digest it, and we see if it's appropriate or applicable. 
I think the biggest thing kind of going forward is probably how we adjust to the pandemic situation, to be honest. Like um, the economy has changed in a way that there's would be crazy to think that it's going to affect our business in some kind of way. I think we're really resilient and we're truly multidisciplinary so we can kind of you know, weather it. But it, it'll be interesting to see how it changes a lot of things, just like even the way that people interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Elbow handshakes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you close a business deal with an elbow handshake? I don't know. In some ways, just to not be a total downer on it, like the fact that we did get really good at Zoom meetings and like I've always like been a Skyper and stuff, but it wasn't until we went into lockdown where I did like a good month of solid Zoom meetings. Yeah. Where I kind of went, ah, oh, right, I didn't just shout the whole time. <laughs> you know, I learned the way. And then yeah. like working with like, I had a client in the States, I had a client in Australia and, and just learning how to kind of, you know, probably communicate even more face to face. I know it's a digital kind of facade, but like, I don't know, there's something really good that came out of that. But for me, I still feel, feel that urge to kind of go, if I have a client overseas, I still need to get on plane at some stage i need to see the whites of your eyes as they say you know to build that trust and everything you need to do it at least once mm. Mm. it's going to be interesting seeing how that works now and our building has always been a big destination like it is an architectural kind of piece like we've had like clients from all over the u.s come and like you know stay down in new zealand and, and work out of our building as well and thinking that's going to be a lot harder now it's just us kicking around here with the, the drum kit yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you can make some more noise, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like an album out. Yeah. Okay. So, thanks again, Johnny. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for listening to the Designers Institute Student Council podcast. Keep an eye out for the next episode. We would love for you to share on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can tag the Designers Institute of NZ. If you're feeling really generous, you can give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps with getting the podcast out to new listeners.